Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us all the way from across the end of the world, are you in Sydney, Australia? I am. In Sydney, Australia is Ross Dawson. Ross came to us by the way of Ellie Gould. Ellie is a fellow Australian uh, who literally wrote a book called Feeling Forward. And uh, she said, I think Ross would be a good guest. And I always take recommendations from prior guests for guests that could be good on the show. Good day to you, Ross. How's going in Australia this morning? It's wonderful. It's uh, it's winter here, but it's uh, where I live, which is by the beach. It's still not too cold for me to go swimming every day. Well, you have reverse seasons. So right now you guys are going into, are you still in fall right now? Would you consider it? Uh, well, it's uh, we're just a day away from the shortest day of the year. That's here, right. Almost <laughs> the longest day for you. <laughs> exactly. So maybe you're actually entering winter. So, but um, it is a beautiful spot. Let me let my listeners know a tad bit about you. Ross is a globally recognized leader and futurist, a keynote speaker, strategy advisor, best-selling author, and the book we're going to be talking about is called Thriving on Overload. Uh, Ross is in strong demand globally, having delivered keynote speeches, speeches strategy workshops to 30 countries, six continents uh, for companies such as American Express, Boston Consulting Group, Citibank, Coca-Cola, Google, Interpublic Group, Microsoft, and the list goes on. He's also the founding chairman of Advanced Human Technologies of Companies, and you can get to that website at ahtgroup.com, ahtgroup.com. Also, you can get to his personal website, just Ross Dawson, D-A-W-S-O-N.com. There you can learn more about his futurist resources, uh, you can learn more about him, the strategic advisor, his keynote speaking, and about Ross himself. Um, he's been named one of the most influential people in the world of future of work, fintech, crowdfunding, enterprise two, digital media magazine, as well as the 40s biggest players in Australia's digital age. Um, he previously worked as senior positions in London, Tokyo, and Sydney, and most recently, Thompson Financial as global director. Capital Marxist, as well as Merrill Lynch and NCR, and he's worked at senior levels in many countries and cultures, and he speaks five languages. Well, I have a hard time with just the one that I do, Ross, um, but I want to start this off because in the introduction to your book, um, you kind of identify yourself as a futurist. You state that it is someone that helps people think about the future to make better decisions today. Um, what are some of the things that listeners, whether they're CEOs or midline managers or executives or not, that are listening to this show, could be prepared to thrive in the next 10 to 20 years? And what are some of the trends that we, you may want to tell them to look out for? So when we look at the future, there are two fundamental things which we can understand. There are trends the things which we have seen. And this is things which we see in the past. So we can see, for example, technology trends. We can see demographic trends. We can see social trends in, uh, in shifts. Uh, we can see that there are shifts in the structure of business, but there are also some uncertainties. And in a way, 
the, my primary advice and what a lot of what I work with the uh, boards and executive teams is around how we dig into the uncertainties. So there is a lot of, you can see any number of trend reports, and these provide some insights around what has happened in the past and up to today. In order to think effectively about the future, we kind of need to be digging into the uncertainties. And I think, you know, in a way, the primary question for any leader is what is most uncertain and most important to my business and to well, I remember I having Miss McGrath on here, and her book is Seeing Around Corners, professor at a university. I'm sure you know her. Um, what would you tell people about seeing around the corners and being able to put the dots together? Because, you know, if you're a CEO, you're trying to look for what might be hitting you right in the face, what might be coming at you uh, as quickly as you can. What are some of the things you might tell them they may want to do to adopt to those things that could be hitting them in that face? So part of the context for this was I was originally had a proposal for a book, uh, which was about how to be your own futurist. And so I believe that uh, the role of futurist is valuable, but you can't outsource thinking about the future. Everybody needs to be their own futurist. And originally I had a proposal, which is essentially a book about to be how, you, how to be your own futurist. And a number of agents <laughs> told me that they couldn't sell that book uh, but you know, it's, it's just hard to sell futurist books, but there was one chapter title in my proposal, which was called thriving on overload. And that's, uh, what they said. Well, one of my agents said, if you write a book, which is called thriving on overload, I can sell that. So, well, that is at the crux that is, pardon me for interrupting you, but at the crux of many people's stress factors today, whether it's seeing around the corner or not, it is overload. And you state in the introduction of the book that the information overload occurs when the amount of input to a system exceeds, exceeds its processing capacity. Uh, that's the adoption of the human species, which has evolved now in your estimation to handle a lot of information. Um, how can we be more able to cope with this information I remember having a, a behavioral scientist on here. Her book was The Watchman's Rattle. She's been on a couple of times. And, you know, it's almost like we wait until the last minute to do something about global warming. Uh, it has to hit us right smack dab in the head. Um, and you see the things that are going on in our part of the country. We see the fires in Australia and the challenges we're having with global warming. The thing is the information overload is really in your estimation on what how your perspective is and how you deal with, in other words, how you use it for your advantage. Can you speak with us how we would use this information for our advantage? So that's what I'm saying is that essentially thriving on overload and strategic insight are the same thing, where our brains are finite, we have an unlimited amount of information. And so in order to see around the corners, to be able to see sometimes what is right in front of us, we need a whole set of information practices, which is the five powers that I lay out in Thriving on Overload. So this is around acknowledging that our brains are wonderful things, but also limited, and we have an extraordinary abundance of information. So it's around shift going beyond the overwhelm to say, what is the information that serves me? 
what is it that enables me to be a better leader? What has enabled me to make more effective decisions? So this is a whole set of processes, of habits, of ways of working, of ways of thinking, of how it is we deal with information, how we think. And there's no one point to it. There are the five powers that are interlaced, and these are of purpose, framing, filtering, attention, and synthesis. And together, these are the five powers, which are the practices, which means that whether we are simply a student, uh, for example, overwhelmed by all of our coursework, or starting in a job where suddenly you get thrown new things, all things, or we are a leader looking to make a big impact and to shape our future in a very fast-moving world, these are the same practices and principles that we need to implement. Well, I love your diagram in the book and your chart with this, the center is purpose. And I remember having Stephen Kotler on here many, many times talking about flow, flow genome project. But in Stephen's work, he said, look, focus is for free. Curiosity is something that all CEOs have. They're highly curious, most of them. Um, they're trying to find different solutions. But purpose then was the next thing on the list. Purpose was, you know, beyond focus being for free and being, you know, having curiosity, you have to find a purpose for the why you're doing something, right? What is this why? Um, and then you can set goals, right? And then you can set proximal goals, and then you can get something accomplished. What would you say about the executives that might be listening today that are having a hard time finding the purpose to be able to deal with um, overload in every area of their life. So the this is a first point is that finding a purpose is a journey. It's not a destination because once you found a purpose, the world changes, you changes. And so this is a process of discovery. In fact, one of the first lessons in our relationship with information is that this is part of being able to find and refine uh, uh, refine our purpose. So we might have an idea. This is a holding uh, just a straw man, or this is an idea of what my purpose or direction or uh, the reasons for my work and uh, the, organi the organization that I lead to to be. And then that starts to sensitize you to looking for the information that can help you to refine that, to say, these are the things that inspire me. These are the things that I think I, I need to be making a difference in. And so one of the first ways in which we our purpose feeds on itself in finding information is we have an idea that helps us to then look for the information that helps us to refine our purpose. So, And as we refine our purpose, that is then the filter to determine whether information is useful to us or not useful to us. And that's the critical thing. We have any, you know, unlimited, infinite information. And most of that information is for anybody with a particular purpose, not just have zero value, but negative value, because it takes your time, it takes your attention without giving you sufficient value. So as you begin to refine your purpose, it enables you more and more accurately, easier and easier to say, Yes, that information is useful and valuable to me because it serves me in helping my purpose or refining it. And that information I will not take in into my uh, limited attention because it doesn't serve me. 
Well, what you're saying is it gives me clarity and focus. And I think one of the biggest things that happens, Ross, just in my humble opinion, when you find a purpose, um, it's not that you get singularly focused. You do say that these are inseparable, these five powers, and you're in your framework. At the center of the framework is purpose. But I believe that the listeners would want to know about filtering, attention, synthesis, and framing. So how do those powers help us change our relationship with information for the better? Because at the essence, at the core of your book is literally purpose with these others surrounding purpose, and they all play a role in conjunction with the purpose. Um, So if you would briefly explain uh, filtering and attention and synthesis and framing. Yeah, I'll I'll start with framing as that that is in a way the starting point for the others. And the key point is that what we are looking for is not information, it is knowledge and insight and understanding. And that comes from piecing together the information that we see to say make the connections to build a literal framework. So we need to be building frameworks and which can help us to understand where new information fits, where it uh, it helps us to build a richer, more refined, more useful understanding of the world. So we need to build some visual, uh, some frameworks, visual frameworks, or other ways where we piece together, uh, help us to build deeper knowledge, which flows into then the filtering because we now have our purpose and using our frameworks, we can then discern. Not only is this information serve me or not, we're getting more discerning around that information where it fits, but also where it might fit in our frameworks. And, you know, not just accumulating bits of information, but actually building that into the framework of our knowledge and understanding. So attention is absolutely critical because that is, that's what we, uh, the resource which we have in the world and it's limited it is finite and we need to build attention practices and understand that we can just schedule our attention there are some things which we can spend time on there are different attention modes different ways of paying attention and building that into a structure in our lives can build us far more effective in how it is we take in information but the final one synthesis may I ask you a question Ross, about it May I ask you a question about attention? Please. You're doing really well going through them, but I think a listener out there today, and I'm not saying all executives, but many executives are ADD and ADHD. Um, and, and part of that challenge is the ability to get that focus and attention, to get the attention. What would you tell somebody who might be struggling uh, with that attention um, to be able to come back in and focus and get that clarity? What advice might you give them? Well, I think the first point is that everybody struggles. And some people might struggle more than others. Some people may be diagnosed with a attention deficit, but it's everyone struggles. That's just the nature of what we are. Our brains are distractible. Oh, that's that's well, our brains are trained to you know designed to be able to sort of just keep on getting distracted. So everyone gets distracted, and this is so yeah we we recognize we're always going to struggle with it. So I think that's one of the first things to acknowledge and accept, and then say okay, what is it that I can do to incrementally just get that little bit better? 
over why time. are why are we distracted because they often say hey we're gonna cha uh, we're gonna cha chase the next shiny object right so you think about it it's like oh well, i'm gonna go chase this object because it's better um in your research what did you find about um us being distracted and did you find out anything as a result of how we get distracted and how we can get back to being more focused uh, and paying attention to what we need to do? Well, part of it comes back to the history of our brains. And we used to forage for food. And essentially what we did is we looked for food in a particular place. And when it ran out, we would start to look for food in new places. And these are dopamine driven pathways in our brain that keeps us making us look for new things and places. And in fact, it's been demonstrated that information foraging, which is the same thing, which is just looking for information, it uses exactly the same dopamine driven pathways. The thing is that we never run out of information, but our still our brains are still trained to keep on looking for new information on all fronts. So this is just essentially the way our brains work. So this does require essentially training ourselves. And we could let our brains be distracted by the TikToks and the, the, uh, the neon banners around us all the way. That's just the nature of what we do. So we do need to understand that we need to train and develop our capacity for attention. And one of the most powerful practices is simply to say, I will spend 5, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever, on one task and with no distractions during that period. And those tasks could be, for example, just saying, I've, I've found this really interesting article or this is book and I'm going to do that one thing. And we keep on wanting distractions of, or I want to check my messages. And it's simply being able to practice, you know, and it's simply for a little bit longer at a time to say, I will do one thing for a period of time. And that is the most powerful single thing we can do is to do one thing for a period of time. And I want and, my listeners to hear that because, you know, Ross, that is tremendous wisdom and advice. Um, and I hope everybody is listening to Ross right now, because that is something that anybody can do. You just have to put your mind to it. And you frequently, you have to have a lot of discipline and a lot of commitment to do that. A commitment that the result of doing that is going to be greater than the distraction that you might be doing something else. And that's where the reward comes in. The reward is getting something finished, uh, getting something completed and feeling good about that because you usually do feel good when you complete that. What about synthesis and framing? Uh, those are the two other factors out of the five. Can you speak with the listeners about synthesis and framing? So synthesis is the master power of humans is what is we do better than anyone is what is will keep us ahead of machines and that is simply for everything that we have ever seen or touched to pull that together into that big picture of understanding and this is the critical power for leaders and that in a way this is the seeing around the corners as you see around the corners because you see the whole how all of the pieces fit together so if you are building a strategy for an organization in a fast-moving world, you do need to be able to see the pieces of your own organizations, of your competitors, of the new technologies that are emerging, the social shifts that are changing. <clears throat> so this is where we need to not only build this picture of the whole, 
but be very open to changing our views because the you know the our ability to be open to new ideas it becomes more and more valuable the faster the world changes so synthesis is something about being able to pull together all the pieces to literally connect the dots into an understanding and helping to pull back to to frame out things but also at the same time being able to adjust that and be open to doing that and this is supported by this uh, power of framing which is building the frameworks literally being able to see the bits of information literally connect them to visualize that to make documents to be able to build that understanding and that's the foundational practices which then enable you to synthesize see the big picture to be ahead and keep ahead in a world of extraordinarily fast change well, as you're speaking about synthesis and attention and framing and filtering, it reminds me of something that almost like an architect would do. You know, you've got all these ideas. I want to rebuild or build something, right? And in the process, you're literally synthesizing all the things you'd like to put into it. Um, then you're framing it all together, putting it out on paper, whether it's a mind map or it's an architectural drawing. And that came to me as a really powerful symbol, um, which would be something that we're designing and putting together. And you know, you speak about six fears of defining our relationship with information. Uh, can you discuss these six fears and uh, how they help us in, to in, enact a positive relationship with information? Because I found that part of your book to be, I, I wanna say, not just interesting, I think very, very important element of this is, is really these fears, these spheres. So the first point is that we do have a relationship with information, just as we have a relationship with food or we have a relationship with money. And that relationship can be empowering and enabling or it can be uh, destructive. And so we need to build this positive relationship with information so that it serves us. It, it makes us better and able to achieve more. So the first of those spheres is identity, where we can use the information we seek to help us understand who we are and who we are becoming. Uh, expertise is a critical way of understanding who we are. In a more and more uh, complex world with more and more advances, we do need to be specialists. We do need to have deep knowledge. And choosing where we, we are an expert is a fundamental choice in life. We have ventures, and those, <clears throat> those ventures could be a company, it could be a community garden, it could be a project to be fit, and we can look at those ventures and how it is information serves us. We need to look at our well-being, the well-being of ourselves and others, and that, that's something where we need to seek information. And it's harder and harder because we always have different opinions around how it is that we can be healthy, and so that's something which we need to, to look to. Um, and we also need to be looking to our passions and the reality is you know we're not autom automatons we are passionate about could be sports or arts or culture or uh, history or whatever it may be and these are part of who we are and that's part of our information relationship with information is across these different domains to help us make, be a whole and make sure that the information we take in helps us be who we can be. 
Well, those six spheres, and I'm going to direct my listeners when you get the book, whether you get a Kindle version or you get uh, a, a real copy of the book from Amazon, uh, definitely look at the models that uh, Ross has put into the book. Because just looking at the models alone, if that's all you bought the book for, uh, would be extremely valuable about changing your relationship with information. And let's talk about information on another flip side of the coin. And that's the information we receive from the news. We call it news. Most of the time, it's negative news. Um, and as you said, it can be seriously harmful to our mental health. I don't think people see it that way all the time. But the reality is, I think if you listen to enough negative news, it is going to have some serious effects on how you perceive the world, what you see, because you're not you're seeing the negative, you're not seeing the positive. What's your recommendation on how we should engage with news? Because we still need to be up to date on current events about what's going on, about what could affect us. And if that means having to listen to the news or read the newspaper or read it on your iPad or get it off of your cell phone, we're being bombarded by it every day. And the other thing we're being bombarded with is it's instantaneous. I mean, an event can occur in Australia in 20 minutes from now, and it's literally going to hit the news waves and it's going to be on my cell phone in 21 minutes, right? So how do we how do we deal with this news? Well, the first thing is to understand what it is we want from the news. And yes, we do want to be informed, you know, participant in our society, but we just need, we do need to sit back and reflect. What do I want from the news? And in a way, the news is always demanding our attention, saying, you should know this, you should know this. And sometimes, uh, the, you know, a number of, Commentators have pointed to the practice of just simply having a, you know, taking, taking, no, getting no news at all for, let's say, a week. And then saying, well, how much different was my life? Is it, was it better or was it worse? Is there anything I needed to know? Or, you know, or letting friends tell you if something important happened rather than having to keep it across. So comes back and say, well, maybe I do want to know about, for example, things which will help me know who to vote for or that there are, and help me to understand the shape of the world. But I think most of us consume more news than we need to. And I think that, again, there needs to be purpose. Why? Why do I want to have this news? And to actually just think that through, say, all right, well, because I do want to know what's happening. But the other key point is around this negativity, where the reality, news is news because it is bad. Good things happen slowly, bad things happen fast. And so the reality is we always get this barrage of negative things. So one thing we can do is actually balance that out. There are, in fact, there's not, it's hard to find them, but there are some positive news sites. I've created a Twitter list of uh, positive news, you know, which is a better way to start the day than the usual news. And this can be just part of this balance saying, yes, there are good things happening out there. And I can have some broader perspectives. So I think we need to have a diet of news saying that there are things which I might want to use, but that I will contain that. And to also make sure that you are looking for some of the good things which are happening, as well as the reality of all of the news, which is negative, because it's it can be damaging. And one of the and we need to avoid at all costs the doom scrolling. And it's just that sharp cut. Okay, I've seen what's happening. We'll cut that off. I don't need an update in 10 minutes or an hour or six hours. I can check in tomorrow and 
I will not be any worse off. In fact, I'll be better off for not being continually scared, you know, trying to keep abreast of things which don't serve me. Well, and I think also it's around your notifications on your cell phone. You know, the reality is you can set those up to notify you. Like you said, you made a list of the good news channels. I'm definitely going to go look for that uh, because I think that I need to be fed with more of that myself. And I do thrive on it when I knew it. It also tells me trends that I need to look at, right? It's that's the good news can be good news about trends, about what's happening in the world. What is somebody inventing? Uh, I remember hearing a story about lithium and right in my own back door, a place called the Salton Sea, um, where um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the huge billionaire uh, starts investing in it. And the reality is, is you know, you, you look at this and those news stories, which are good, which are informative, um, they do give you insights on trends that are occurring, where it's occurring, what you might be able to capitalize on, because frequently um, people are looking to invest in things that they can make a return on and capitalize on. Let's face it. Um, you tell a great story in your book about Chris Dancy, and he was addicted to food and Diet Cokes in particular. And this guy ballooned over 300 pounds, you said. I'd love you to tell his story and how Chris used information. Now, here's the most important part of this question to change his life for the better. So Chris is focused on information about his body. And so one of the, the big trends, as you just discussed, is uh, about fitness trackers, where, you know, because we have our smart watches and so on now, we're able to count our steps and to find out more about our pulse rate and uh, so on. So this is more data about we have about our body. And this is something which Chris used well. So he started to track data from his body body in terms of how he felt around uh, his you know, physiology and correlated it to the activities which he did. So he started to track and he noticed that amongst other things that the more water he drank, that the, the less he smoked and you know, he improved his uh, habits. So he started to drink more water and he started to see all of these patterns around where one thing actually made a difference to his life. And building on these by getting information about his body, but using that to learn around what made a difference, enable them to just gradually change his habits, to lose an enormous amount of weight, to stop smoking, to completely change his diet, and become a different person. And this was focused on the information, but not just looking at the information, using that as a resource to begin to see what makes a difference, making those small changes which added up to make the big change of a transformation of his life. Yeah, the Stanford professor that wrote the book Tiny Habits was on the show not that long ago. And I mean, there's many of these books on habits and changing little tiny habits as, as, to actually make a big change in your life. And, you know, if you were to provide our listeners with three bits of advice or takeaways to help them in dealing with the amount of information in the world and to thrive on it, what advice would you provide them and what simple things could they start to do now to change their relationship with information, Ross? So the first one is one you already mentioned, which is to minimize notifications. Uh, so this is saying, is it essential 
that I get this notification coming up on my phone or my computer? Or is it something which is okay if I just find it when I look for it? So just gradually pull back and say, how can, you know, no, no, there should be no sound notifications unless it's something which is going to be critical to you. And there should be no lock screen notifications. And to make sure that your phone or devices are away. And you know, that's, you know, one of the first very simple things to do. The second thing is to start to time box. So you create periods of time where you will just do one thing. And one thing I think everybody should do is at least once a week for at least 90 minutes, have a time when you're doing just one thing. And that could be studying. It could be thinking about, uh, you know, building a strategy for your business. It could be uh, building, uh, you know, writing uh, a book or an essay, whatever it might be. And during that time, there will you will not look at anything else. So you can use various apps to be able to make sure everything else is shut off. You will only do that. And you won't check your phone for that. If you have to, if you just need to, a break, you just get up and walk around or look at something, but no other digital devices. And this is a practice of achieving an immense amount and beginning to get your attention into uh, to be more effective. And the thing, the, the third thing I would point to is is simply being uh, is simply pulling back to looking at some information source that you normally wouldn't look to, and going out and being as diverse as possible in your information sources. So simply just taking that step back, saying, "What information do I look at now?" And you know, we all have habits. We all have consistency in how the information source we look at. And just simply just think about that and say, do I want more or less of any of these information sources? Is this one I really should be looking at today? And what is something new? And what is something different which can add to, to make, create a more diverse portfolio of information sources that will serve me well? Very well put. Now, my question is, you ask, uh, and I've heard this from Kotler, he says to go read something that you wouldn't normally read. In other words, like if you've never read Architectural Digest, go pick up an Architectural Digest and read it because just the fact that you took in different information, now get this, right? It triggers your ability to be much more creative in your thinking as a result of having the diversity of this because it's not information you would normally pick up pick up a book if i don't know just a book on volleyball right it's like hey that's not something i would normally pick up and read and why would i read it what's the point but he's saying just having the ability to do that do you believe the same thing do you believe that that helps people this diversity of information and new different kinds of information it's absolutely critical because we live in an extraordinarily complex world it is moving faster and faster. And that synthesis depends on us being able to see the whole. And if we're only looking at a part of it, then we'll never see the whole. We'll always be, we'll be blindsided. We'll never see around the corner. There'll always be somebody coming up with something new, which we never dreamed of before. So it is absolutely essential for us to be very broad, have the breadth of view. And, you know, we, we, there are times when we need blinkers on to be very focused and 
working on particular projects, but we absolutely need to take the blinkers off and to look around and to see things that we hadn't seen. And we cannot be effective leaders unless we are seeing all of the pieces that help us to see the whole. And that requires us to say, all right, well, I'm going to look at something which I would never normally look at. Uh, and this, you start to uh, sometimes immediately say, well, actually, this, this is relevant to me, or I've learned something new, or I can start to see all of the richness of the world, which enables me to have this synthesis, pull this together, and coming back to where we began, to see the future better, see the nature of change, and make better decisions today. Very well put, Ross. I want to thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth. And for my listeners, this is books have been getting rave reviews. It's called Thriving on Overload, The Five Powers for Success in a World of Exponential Information. We'll put a link to Amazon to that book. We'll put a link to Ross's website as well, um, which is just rossdawson.com. We'll put a link to his company's website as well in there. And we'll put a link to some of the YouTube videos that you could see uh, about Ross speaking about this. Um, Ross, again, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth, sharing some of your wisdom and insight about how people can thrive with overloaded information uh, and not look at it as a negative, but reverse it and look at it as a positive and have a different relationship with that information. It's been it's been a pleasure having you on. Been a real delight. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.